Helm dislikes a crooked staff that is thrust on him, he breaks it. So! With that, he smote Freka with such a blow with his fist that he fell back stunned and died soon after. Hello! Welcome to Watch Party Lord of the Rings on Prime, where we look at Tolkien's works through the lens of adaptation with a special focus on Amazon's upcoming bid budget adaptation of The Legendarium. I am joined today by your host, Michael Rowland, aka Peregrine Took. And I am joined today by your host, Jen Gallagher, aka Hild, sister of Helm Hammerhand. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, we have a really exciting uh, podcast for you all today. It's very impromptu because we got some exciting news. Yeah, and we, I mean, we're really changing our plans. We were getting geared up. We had a plan, an agenda to talk about something totally different today. We've been researching it. We were going to talk about Galadriel, one of our favorite characters. Really excited to do a deep dive, sort of a follow-up into uh, on our Killer Brimbor episode, which we had a lot of fun with. But then some crazy news happened, and like real news, not just, you know, they're looking to finish a day later type of news. It's like real news. And we just figured we want to talk about this now while it's still fresh. Um, and it's really exciting. Yeah. So the news is <laughs> that Lord of the Rings is going to continue. We got this from an article uh, from Deadline, Hollywood News. So there is going to be an anime film, and The War of the Rohirrim. And it's in production. It's in works right now at New Line. Um, so this was just released uh, June 10th, 2021. And this is being developed by New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, basically the same folks that made um, the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, no word yet on whether Peter Jackson is involved. Probably not. Um, but it is, I guess, yet to be decided. But it is going to be an anime. It's not live action. It's going to be animated. And uh, the article says anime. So it's it's going to be a thing in that Japanese style of animation. Um, and it's being directed by Kenji uh, Kemiyama, who I'm not I'm not super into anime, so I'm not like really familiar with his other work. But this uh, Deadline article says that he's done anime projects like Blade Runner, Black Lotus, um, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex, and Ghost in the Shell is a really really popular anime series. But there's different there's like movies and different series, and some are better than others. I've heard, so I'm not sure which one. The standalone complex Ghost in the Shell is that he did. If it uh, is considered one of the better ones, I don't know. Um, but, you know, a Blade Runner anime, Ghost in the Shell anime, it shows that he's been entrusted with uh, really serious anime material before. Um, so he's clearly, he must mm-hmm. have some chops and have a good reputation to, to get this particular project. Sure. And I'm not a big anime fan. I'll just come right out and say it. But I do think anime is such a great medium for this particular story because it does have a lot of fantastical creatures and even creatures that we've never seen before. And you can obviously do that much easier in uh, through this medium than you can um, in a live action film. You know, for example, there's totally. uh, snow trolls and lots of different things we've never been introduced to before. So it is it is a, a really cool thing that it's going to be developed through a brand new medium. I don't think there's any other, I don't think there's any other anime um, adaptations of Lord of the Rings. Maybe I'm wrong. Someone, Maybe someone can fact check me on that. But um, right. not that I'm familiar with. Are you familiar with any, Michael? No, I mean, certainly there have been animated adaptations. I mean, we covered the, the Rankin-Bass Hobbit. Um, there's, you know, there's the animated adaptation of the full Lord of the Rings where they just jammed it into one movie. But that's just, and those are old. That's just old, like American style animation, not anime. So 
uh, anime is uh, got a different aesthetic, its own style that developed kind of separately from American animation. Um, and I think mm-hmm. you and I have talked about how we think maybe animation could be a superior way to present this material uh, or a more effective way um, than mm-hmm. live action. I mean, you can do anything these days with CGI and so you can do live action films that that are extremely good. But one of the things that I like about animation is I think it's a really good way of presenting sort of like fantastical elements, otherworldly elements, um, and that it comes off a little better than when you try and do it live action. Because when you're watching an animated film, you're already setting aside, like, you know, it's not live action. So the you're buying in, it's believable as an animated film, right? So you've kind of like, there's a suspension of belief, I guess you could say, or, it, you know, in, in Tolkien parlance, it's like secondary belief. You're, you've bought into this world and it's animated. So it's already a little bit otherworldly and you've set aside the fact that it's look realistic. And so you can go a little bit farther with like the otherworldly and fantastical visual elements and you can do a lot of crazy things that if you try and did that in a live action film, it's a lot tougher to pull off because if it doesn't look just right in live action film, you're going to be like, I can tell that's fake. You know, I can tell that's yeah. not real. It, it, and it doesn't Definitely. work. Definitely. I completely agree. And this story in particular, I'm really excited about because it has, there's so much overlap with the Lord of the Rings and there's so mm-hmm. many places and people that we're already familiar with and we kind of get the backstory. So I'm just going to read you a quick excerpt from this deadline article that we are referring to. So straight from the article, the War of the Rohirrim focuses on a character from the book's appendix, the mighty King of Rohan, Helm Hammerhand, and a legendary battle which helped shape Middle-earth heading into Lord of the Rings. The anime pick will expand the untold story behind the fortress of Helm's Deep, delving into the life and blood-soaked times of Hammerhand. Overall, the movie is a companion piece to New Line's Lord of the Rings trilogy and is set roughly 250 years before that movie during the Third Age. So we're going to get Helm's Deep's backstory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of places that are familiar in the story. The River Aizen and Orthanc, all these all these scenes that are depicted in The Lord of the Rings. Um, and even symbols like the horn of Helm Hammerhand's famous horn, that the horn that they sound at Helm's Deep. We're going to mm-hmm. get that depicted. Right. So I think... I think Lord of the Rings fans will actually be very excited, even though even if you're not an anime fan, again, I, I'm not very familiar with anime. I'm definitely going to watch this. Yeah. And and you say you're not a fan of anime. Is that because like you've seen some anime and you're like, I don't like this style or is it just um, you haven't? Just haven't really I've been into seen it. I've seen very I've only seen a few um, anime productions. I've seen Spirited Away. Is that considered anime? <laughs> See, I've just I'm really ignorant. So that uh, that I liked, but I've also seen some other ones that I wasn't wild about. Right. Um. So but I'm definitely will go in with an open mind. Yeah. Maybe you just didn't like the, the subject matter that was being covered by the anime stuff, because like, you know, anime hasn't always been applied to every style of story right sure it's sort of sure. certain types of stories that it's uh, as those common types of stories being told so maybe you just weren't into those i don't know i mean i i'm not a so i had a roommate um in college my my best friend ben mm-hmm. um and we were roommates in college and for a long time and he was really big into anime and i i, I never really was um not that i disliked it i just didn't get into it um mm-hmm. And even after we lived together, I didn't like get into it. I didn't, I didn't watch the same stuff he watched, but he had it on often. And I would sometimes like watch an episode or two and I, and I really did like it. I mean, I always really liked basically everything that I saw, 
And I have no aversion to animated things. Like I didn't have some, I don't have some concept or preconceived notion that like animated things are for children and not to be taken seriously. Like I, I think that they can cover really adult material and anime stuff tends to cover more adult content than American animated stuff. Like American animated stuff is more often yeah, used for children's stories or, you know, uh, in a style that's geared towards children. Whereas animes are, um, they're more often co- covering more adult content or serious themes. And right. I, I really like the stuff that was on. So I, I'm excited to see it done. Um, and well, to see it apply this- to like a, a European, a Western European story, which is, I mean, Tolkien as a, as a British uh, person, that's kind of like cultures that are uh, appear in his stories. Definitely. Well, they, as you mentioned, it deals, anime is deals a lot with adult content. And this story has a lot of adult content. So there's a lot of violence and blood. It mentioned in the article, it's bloody. It is a bloody story. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to give you. Before we even get to the story, I, I kind of want to ask you, this took me by surprise. Yes. Right. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, I think it took everybody by surprise. No one saw this coming. There's no no news about this coming out. I, no rumors. I mean, we're pretty plugged into like the Tolkien rumor mill. I mean, we're, we're watching alerts and stuff because we're keeping an eye on the Amazon show. We follow that Twitter, all yeah. those tweeters out there. Yeah, we're, we're watching the, the tweets. <laughs> and uh, there's no rumor of this anywhere. And no, you know, I'm listening not to not even a whisper. Right. And I was, you know, checking Twitter today after this announcement came out. Everybody's shocked. I mean, nobody knew about this. And so yeah. I, w- I want to ask you, why do you think this is like coming out? And I have a theory, but I want to hear if, if you have a theory about why this is coming out now. I, we haven't heard anything about it. Right. Well, Michael, it's funny you should ask. I really think that 20 years after the release of The Fellowship of the Ring, it's been 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I think historically, if you look at a lot of different franchises, this is the prime time to re... um, People are primed and peaked and ready for a different imagining of these stories, Mm -hmm. for, for it to make a comeback. And Amazon obviously is spearheading this effort And I think that has reignited a lot of people's enthusiasm and excitement. But I think other people are jumping on that bandwagon and realizing that there's an appetite for this stuff because there absolutely is. So much of Tolkien's world is unexplored, has yet to be explored in in film. And, And so I think part, yeah, I think part of the reason is just that there's been such a big time lapse between... Um, when the Lord of the Rings and the Hot came out, the last what I would argue was the last quality production. Like I don't count the Hobbit films as like quality adaptation. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. But I'm curious to hear what you're thinking. I definitely think that's a part of it. I mean, I certainly think that Warner Bros. and, and New Line are, you know, obviously Amazon is is carrying most of the water here. They, they've invested a ton of money. There's going to be a huge show coming out. And so a lot of Tolkien fans are getting excited again. And so I think Warner Bros. and and New Line are trying to trade on that reinvigorated enthusiasm in the fandom to say, and they're saying, all right, well, we'll produce something and sort of like ride Amazon's coattails. It won't be as big of a project, but we'll still try to make a good project and um, it'll be successful because everybody's excited about Lord of the Rings right now anyway. So everybody's going to watch it. I think that's certainly a part of it. I think another part of it this is my hunch. I have no insider information. Um, and before I give you the theory, I'll point to that there's a line in the Deadline article that says that the project is uh, being fast-tracked, which that line caught my eye. I'm like, hmm, it's being 
fast tracked. Mm. Why is it? Why is it being fast tracked? Um, I think you know because Warner Bros. and New Line, this they are not affiliated with the Amazon production. These are not coming out at the same time by coordinated design um, by one movie house or one production company. It's a separate production company coming out with uh, something in the same universe at the same time as a separate production company. And I, I think in addition to trying to capitalize on it, the enthusiasm that Amazon's creating, I think they are trying to um, keep their license to the material. Because as you said, it's been 20 oh. years since the original films come out. And I a lot of these licensing agreements, oftentimes it's like use it or lose it. You have a certain amount of time um, to, <gasps> of exclusivity. And if you don't produce something after a certain number of years, all right, you lose your license. No um, kidding. I had no idea. Yeah. So th- that happens pretty often. So like, and we saw that with uh, Spider-Man. I know you don't track the, the Marvel movies, but- Spider-Man for a long time was owned by Sony, not by the same group that was making all the like Avengers movies. Um, so the Spider-Man films were being released by Sony separate from the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And he wasn't part well, of the, the one universe. And, that makes sense. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. Some, and so there were like- I feel inundated with Spider-Man movies. So now yeah. it all adds up. I was like, yeah, why, yeah, yeah. why, 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 why? <laughs> There was like the original trilogy with Tobey Maguire that I thought I, that was really good. But then they like that rebooted it. Yeah. And then they rebooted it a couple of times. There was like a Spider-Man in the middle with uh, an actor Spider-Mans. who was good. Yeah. But the point is they they made a movie. Part of the reason was like we need to use this Spider-Man Got it. Um, medium because we don't want to lose our license to it. And um, there, there are someone I'm sure could pull up a list of like there's a lot of examples of of productions even like slapshot productions that are made just to satisfy that criteria in the licensing agreement so they don't lose their rights. Um, wow. So I wonder if this is that. They're like, we oh got to keep our license. Let's make something in this universe. We'll do it animated so it doesn't cost as much. We can rush it out um, and 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 keep our license, make some money, capitalize on, on the wave of enthusiasm that's happening right now. Oh, boy. Well, that... Yeah, that totally makes sense. And it makes me really nervous that it's going to be a rush job and really bad. So hopefully they do not sacrifice quality for the sake of retaining that license. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> right. hope that's not the case. Well, Because it is me. a really great story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you texted me. You're like, hey, it said, the article says they're hiring voice actors. Time to, time to get an agent. Maybe they'll hire yeah. just anybody. Yeah. Hey, we'll we'll put it out there. We're up for hire, both of us. Hey, I mean, just, just you know? rewind this episode. Listen to my Get opening quote. All right, I was doing an impression of Helm Hammer. You're full on. He was in That's character, my voice. folks. That's my voice. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, should we talk about what people might see a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Before we do, I gotta I gotta cool down over here. So I didn't. We haven't talked a little while, Jen, but uh, I our AC went out over here. <gasps> No. I am AC I'm so free sorry. since last night. Oh my gosh. He's in Phoenix, Arizona, AC free. That's yeah. not good. That's yeah. like that's like the heart of Mount Doom. Yeah. I'm Squelch. so I'm like I'm like I'm like a little sweaty over here. If I so if I sound sweaty, that's that's why. I don't know what it means to sound sweaty. <laughs> I just sweaty, thought you were really but... excited about <laughs> this adaptation. Sweating from enthusiasm. But I you know, I got my uh I got my icy drink here. Um, All right, good. True Will you watch cool party down. style. All right. 
you cool off a little bit. And, you know, we are going to, we're definitely going to have to watch this. We are Watch Party. Mm-hmm. And we're going to watch it and talk about it as soon as it's released. But and- we do... You know, our name is Watch Party, Lord of the Rings on Prime. Obviously, the Amazon show was what got us to start this podcast. We're like, all right, we're going to watch the Amazon show. But I mean, really, we're, we'll watch anything Lord of the Rings related. I mean, the show's not out yet. We've been watching other stuff. Maybe we, I think we just need to change our name to Watch Party, Lord of the Rings, because we're obviously going to watch yeah. this and talk about it. Um, oh, definitely. If anything else is made the future, we're going to talk about that. Absolutely. And I think this would be a really good time, Michael, to let people know that we will very soon, we will be watching the Peter Jackson adaptation of The Lord of the Rings, the ones that you know and love. Dun, 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 dun. We will we will be watching them and talking about them. We have exciting guests on to talk about mm-hmm. them. So please stay tuned for that. Yeah, it's we got coming at you very shortly. We got some fun episodes coming up. Um, you know, we got some already in the in the tank that um, we're probably going to release this. Uh, we're going to expedite this episode. So things are going to appear a little out of order. This one will come out um, before some earlier recorded episodes because we just want to get this out as quick as we can. But we got, you know, we're going to be talking about Galadriel. We're finishing up Eldarian Horrendous. But soon after that, we're we're tackling the the big kahuna. And, we're um, doing it. And I couldn't be more excited to rewatch these movies. I love them. They're such a part of my adolescence, a huge defining part, I would say. Yeah. So yeah. I, I will have a lot to say. I'm positive, Michael, that you have a lot to say. Nah. And we hope we hope that you're going to come. <laughs> He's just a man of few words, really. <laughs> just a silent little introvert over there. <laughs> um, yeah, we hope you're going to come along for that ride. And yeah, without further ado, let's talk some Hammerhand. So this guy, this character who's going to be the hero or maybe anti-hero of this new anime series, he reminds me a lot of Thor, the Norse god Thor with his hammer. Um, even though he doesn't use a weapon, like he's famous for using his bare hands to beat people, actually. <laughs> that sounds like every every person's hero, just going around beating people with their bare, bare hands. What well, a, that's why what he's the anti-hero. Right, right. Well, so this whole story that, that it's drawn off of, so it's called War of the Rohirrim. And obviously it's about the Rohirrim, the, the people of Rohan, which uh, were featured very strongly in the Two Towers. And um, a lot of people, I think it's... the they like Rohan and the Rohan plot lines the best. I think people, some people have a real um, love for those characters in that storyline. They, I'll tell you, they were never my favorite um, growing up. I mean, I've come to appreciate all the characters and plot lines as, as an adult for, for what they are. Um, there's something wonderful to find in all the plot lines, including Rohan. But for some reason, when I was a kid, I didn't care about I was like, let's get past these Rohan people because they, fe- they felt very normal. Um they felt more closely connected to actual human history. I, that's I'm exactly the opposite. That's why I liked them uh-huh. is because I, I loved the culture of Rohan, that songs were such a part of the culture and they were horse lords and all these. Right. I really love I really love Rohan and I can't wait to get more set in Rohan. And I think it, so it we was have the kind opposite of, take. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was kind of by design to a certain extent by Tolkien that, that the the people, the Rohirrim, uh, you know they are men of Middle Earth. They're not the Dunedain, so the, you know they're not the elevated peoples or whatever. But as you know, the Third Age ends and and the the Fourth Age begins, and all the elves migrate west. And the Dunedain, you know, Aragorn is king of Gondor, but the Dunedain are kind of dying out. That bloodline is dying out, 
And so it's just normal men of Middle Earth are taking over and it becomes the time of men. And then you're supposed to imagine that it segues into modern times. The the men of Rohan uh, and the people of Rohan are, are kind of like the what becomes current Anglo-Saxon history, I, I think. Like the, they're, they're supposed to represent that Germanic past that, that evolves into right. this like Anglo-Saxon past. And so you can see uh, – I can you can really feel a connection um, – between the Rohirrim and uh, sort of Anglo-Saxon history um, to me. Yeah, oh, most definitely. And this story, just through this story, it's very reminiscent of some of those Mm Anglo-Saxon legends. It kind of even reminds me of the Kalevala. It was just like a Finnish Finnish, uh, long poem saga. Um, It's just... It's different. It's different than sort of the more noble characters that you get in uh, the Lord of the Rings in some ways. Mm -hmm. So gritty. It's definitely gritty. It's a little more gruesome. But I I will be piqued to know if they develop. One thing I will mention that irks me about the story is there are no women um, whatsoever. That's that's like basically all of Tolkien's stories to a certain lesser degrees. But. But there's an opportunity in that, in that we know he has a daughter. Helm Hammerhan has a daughter. Who, who is can... kind of at the center of the inciting events of this plot. Exactly. Yeah. So we should talk about we should talk about the plot a little bit. Good. Good. Good idea. We'll stop beating around the bush. So Helm Hammerhan. Um, this is after um, the people of Rohan have been. They, they came to Gondor's aid years ago. Gondor gifted them this uh, the area of land that. Uh, they currently that they occupy in the third age in the, the main plot of the Lord of the Rings. So they're they're now kings of Rohan, but uh, um, that are kind of like not vassals exactly of Gondor, but they're allies, sort of subject to the the rule of Gondor. And um, Helm Hammerhand, I don't know exactly the timeline. I would say like in the middle of their history, he's the king, and there there are tensions with the Dunlendings. We see the Dunlendings a little bit in Lord of the Rings. Like I think there's a scene. I don't know if it's in the theatrical version or just the extended edition where Saruman is like, you know, getting their blood boiling. It's like all the wild men of the mountains. They've um, taken your lands. Yeah. <laughs> he, he basically is, is giving like a rousing pregame speech to a bunch of wild men to like go kill women and go kill the Rohirrim. Um, those Dunling, Dunlendings in that scene, they've been around for a long time in that area and they've always hated the Rohirrim. There have always been tensions to certain degrees, partly because the Rohirrim kind of displaced them a little bit. Like there weren't a lot of the Dunlendings in that area, but when Gondor gifted them, gifted the Rohirrim that land, um, the Dunlendings kind of, the remaining Dunlendings kind of got pushed out and forced to live in other areas. And so there's always like some tension there. So Helm Hammerhand, he's, he's the king. And there's this other character, uh, Freka, who is of the Rohirrim, but he's also got, Dunlendish blood. So he's a man of Rohan, but he's also mixing with the Dunlendings, which is okay. Like there's, I like that there's intermixing between the peoples. It's not like they're totally sundered peoples mm-hmm. and the Dunlendings are like totally evil at this point. Um, but Freka is, he, he becomes sort of powerful and influential. He, it sounds like he's got like, you know, a big estate and a lot of people under him. And he kind of pays attention to the king, but also is kind of irreverent and, and basically, he wants to be a power broker of his own, it sounds like. And mm-hmm. at some point, he 
and so uh, let's see, Helm Hammerhand occasionally will he will invite him to his councils because he is an important, powerful man in the area. And Freckle will show up sometimes, sometimes not. Um, but one of the times he does show up with you know kind of a big host of men. It sounds like maybe more than would be appropriate, with the intention of asking. And I really read it as demanding because he's you know when you ask mm-hmm. somebody but you're you've got some guns and you got your, your swords out you know you're not really it's asking. more of a threat yeah 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 um he 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 asks slash demands that his son marry helm hammerhand's daughter obviously trying to make a power play here and through marriage mm-hmm. uh, get his family into the the top seat in rohan and um well i guess let's just read the passage here there's so only really a couple of paragraphs because in the appendices, this whole story occupies like three pages. Um, so it, it's great that they're going to be making a whole plot out of this, these three pages. But uh, why don't I, I read just straight from Tolkien here? Let's hear it. Of the kings of the mark between Eorl and Theoden, most is said of Helm Hammerhand. He was a grim man of great strength. There was at that time a man named Freca who claimed descent from King Freyawine, though he had, men said, much Dunlandish blood, and was dark-haired. He grew rich and powerful, having wide lands on either side of the Adorn. Near its source he made himself a stronghold, and paid little heed to the king. Helm mistrusted him, but called him to his councils, and he came when it pleased him. To one of these councils Freca rode with many men, and he asked the hand of Helm's daughter for a son Wolf. But Helm said, You have grown big since you were last here. But it is mostly fat, I guess. And the men laughed at that, for Freca was wide in the belt. Then Freca fell in a rage and reviled the king, and said this at the last, O kings that refuse a prophet's staff may fall on their knees. Helm answered, Come, the marriage of your son is a trifle. Let Helm and Freca deal with it later. Meanwhile, the king and his council will have matters of moment to consider. When the council was over, Helm stood up and laid his great hand on Freca's shoulder, saying, The king does not permit brawls in his house, but men are freer outside. And he forced Freca to walk before him out from Edoras into the field. To Freca's men that came up, he said, Be off! We need no hearers. We are going to speak of a private matter alone. Go and talk to my men. And they looked and saw that the king's men and his friends far outnumbered them, and they drew back. Now, Dunlending, said the king, you have only Helm to deal with, alone and unarmed. But you have said much already, and it is my turn to speak. Freca, your folly has grown with your belly. You talk of a staff. If Helm dislikes a crooked staff that is thrust on him, he breaks it. So! With that, he smote Freca such a blow with his fist that he fell back stunned and died soon after. Helm then proclaimed Freca's son and near kin the king's enemies, and they fled for at once Helm sent many men riding to the West Marches. Wow. I mean, if you don't want to cast him after that new line, I don't know <laughs> what you're thinking. No, that was great. So that was, yeah, that was just a short snippet. And there's, you know, we get a lot more on Helm Hammerhand, but that's yeah. really violent. He just killed a guy with his bare yeah. fists. And that's like the inciting event. That That's like, what there's like a whole, and we'll talk more about it, but like there's a whole conflict that comes after. And But this is what really kicks it off. He, you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones. Yeah, totally. He's a Robert. He's kind of a brute. Yeah. He's kind of like a lot. He's he's confrontational. It doesn't mean he's a bad guy. 
You know, he's actually um, a good leader. And I like the way that he's described, he's described, you know, he's not a, uh, he's not malevolent, but he's kind of um, got a lot of brawn and not so much restraint. But this is certainly a pretty extreme reaction for basically like impertinence. I mean, I suppose he comes with all of his men, so it is like a veiled threat. So I get that. But it's cert- it doesn't sound like he w- there was any actual imminent danger of an attack. Like it doesn't say that they were brandishing weapons or, or anything like that. So it, it is basically like Helm thinks this guy's impertinent and he's got Dunlandish blood. So he thinks less of him because of that. So there's maybe like a touch of racism there. And he's like, uh, I don't like you. I'm going to take you back to the woodshed and whoop your ass. <laughs> and then he right. wall- wallops him on the head one time and he dies like. Yeah, and and this is where the the nickname comes from, Hammerhand, but it also comes into play later. Um, if we want to, should we just jump to that later part when he kind of goes crazy and beats people in in his enemy's camp with his fists? <laughs> do, do, do it, do it. So Freka is dead. Helm bopped him on the top of a head, uh, top of his head, and he just like evaporated into a puff of smoke. Um, and Helm went back to his table, and continued feasting. Uh, and all of Freka's men, I guess, left or something. Um, but four years go by and other conflicts ensue. Um, Rohan starts, uh, there's like, I guess, threats that start assailing Rohan. Gondor can't help because they're under threat by other folks as well. So Rohan's kind of on their own. And so Rohan is being invaded, I guess, from evil men, by evil men from the east. And the Dunlandings see, okay, Rohan's under attack. This is an opportunity. And so it, a bunch of Dunlendings come in and, and attack. And it is soon discovered that at the head of that host is uh, Wolf, Freka's son. So obviously still a little peeved that his um, dad got bitch slapped by Helm and wanted to get a little bit of revenge. And the Rohirrim are defeated and their land is actually overrun. And Wolf actually um, captures Edoras and sits on the throne and declares himself king. So this is this is like, I mean, the end of Rohan, potentially. Um, but the Rohirrim uh, that survive retreat to, um, what's it called? Helm's Deep, which we all know and love from the Two Towers. And this is kind of where the legends of, of Helm's Deep sort of emerge. Um, at this time, it's not, I don't think at this time it is, I don't think it is yet called Helm's Deep. It is known ever after as Helm's Deep. So this is where it gets its name, Helm Hammerhand. So Helm leads his people into Helm's Deep. Uh, and then there, they're under siege. And is there a passage you want to read? I think we're in a pretty good spot here. Because now the Rohirrim are under siege in Helm's Deep. And they're hiding out. And a, and a winter uh, comes upon them. So... There's no more, there's not a lot of battles anymore because it's really hard to get your supply lines in order when it's winter. I mean, this is not from the book. This is me just talking. Um, but the, the book says that uh, a long winter began. And so Rohan's under siege and helps deep. Wolf's sitting on the throne. And so there aren't, aren't any open battles, but Helm Hammerhand uh, exerts his force as sort of a force of nature on his enemies. All right, so here's a description of, of what goes on. So they've been under siege for a while. Um, food grows scarce. People are starting to get hungry and getting a little thin, getting a little scary. And here's where the text begins. Helm grew fierce and gaunt for famine and grief. 
and the dread of him alone. Oh yeah, before we get to this, Helm's son, younger son, goes out and tries to lead a sortie against the enemy. And Helm's like, don't do that. It's snowy and you'll die. And he's like, but I want to. And so, you know, he goes out and because it's snowy, he dies. Uh, So Helm's a little, you know, a little sad that his son's dead. Okay, so back to the text. Helm grew fierce and gaunt for famine and grief. And the dread of him alone was with many men in the defense of the Berg. He would go out by himself, clad in white, and stalk like a snow troll into the camps of his enemies and slay many men with his hands. It was believed that if he bore no weapon, no weapon could bite him. The Dunlending said that if he could find no food, he ate men. That tale lasted long in Dunland. Helm had a great horn, and soon it was marked that before he sallied forth, he would blow a blast upon it that echoed in the deep, and then so great a fear fell on his enemies that instead of gathering to take him or kill him, they fled away down the comb. One night, men heard the horn blowing, but Helm did not return. In the morning, there came a sun gleam, the first for long days, and they saw a white figure standing still on the dike, alone, for none of the Dunlendings dared come near. There stood Helm, dead as a stone, but his knees were unbent. Yet men said that the horn was still heard at times in the deep, and the wraith of Helm would walk among the foes of Rohan and kill men with fear. So that's a legend if I ever heard one. Yeah, and that's where the horn of Helm's Deep comes from. So you have to picture this magnificent horn and the legend around this horn striking fear into the heart of the enemies of of the people, you know, this this mythical person who's going around pounding right. people and eating them potentially. Yeah. Um and I you know, I'm imagining so the legend goes that he stalks through the camp without weapons and just kills people with his bare hands. I'm taking this a step further. He's naked, okay? No weapons, <laughs> no clothes, like a snow troll. And but just, that means uh, he's frozen that way because he comes to a tragic <laughs> end. So in the end, he's the sun rises and he's frozen, mm-hmm. you know, in in, in in just a block of ice. And, and I still think, standing. And still standing. And he comes to this tragic end, which like so often um, in Tolkien's stories, those who... who um, Make I don't know if I want to say make poor choices, but um, violence begets violence, more violence. And often those who who take that path come to a tragic end themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely the case with him. He sort of is torn apart by grief the lo- over the loss of his son, his children, and um, is frozen in an ice cube in the I end. Wonder, I wonder what the like metaphorical quality of his death is. I'm like trying to approach it from a you know a Dante's Inferno. Uh, perspective like I mean you say violence begets violence but in this case I mean he's a violent guy but he doesn't die in battle he doesn't die from murder or anything actually it's but he dies presumably in the process but he's frozen presumably in the process of killing others like he's frozen in that state eternally right Mm. he's out raiding these camps um, and you know yeah, is in and actually, so don't we get a glimpse? I'm not positive about this, but I think there's a statue of him at Helmsteep. Oh, I'd have to go back and look. I don't know. It would make sense. I mean, it is his namesake, and it may be the spot where he was found. But I'm not sure about that. I'll have to fact check that. So this description of of his horn, I mean, it makes me realize what creative liberties. I mean, obviously, Peter Jackson took a number of creative liberties when visualizing certain things, but certainly the horn. I mean. I, I take from 
this description that it is his horn that he can carry around with him and blow. Whereas in the movie, it's like, you know, a two story massive horn that's like installed in the Hornburg that you, you blow, but you don't carry it around anywhere, you know, cause it's a, it's a massive thing. Um, Right. Well, maybe they took a piece of it. We'll get to see it built. Maybe they took a piece of it and decided to construct this huge horn. You know, we'll get the culture. We'll get the piece of culture and the backstory um, and all these different things, which is it's really exciting. And all of this, uh, it ties in nicely because I believe um, in the same time period, Saruman befriends, you know, the future king of Rohan who is a relation of Helm Hammerhand and mm-hmm. Saruman gets Orthanc the keys to Orthanc from this relation right um, yes and Saruman basically enters the the story at the end of the war of the Rohirrim like um and we'll just jump to the end I mean the eventually the Rohirrim uh I think like another let's see uh a nephew of Helm so Oh, that's where I got Hild. So I named you Hild, Helm's sister. Uh, and the, the only reason we know her name and the only reason she's mentioned is because um, Freyolaf is son of Hild, Helm's sister. So Helm's nephew, after Helm's death, uh, Helm's ne- nephew comes down out of Dunharrow, leads a surprise attack, kills Wolf, takes back Edoras, and the Rohirrim, you know, recapture their city and, and win the war. And so that's kind of the end of the war. Um, justice in the end. Justice ju- prevails. Justice in the end. and But of course, it's been a really tough time. The Rohirrim are kind of decimated, not just from the war, but also from the winter. Um, so they're really, really in a weakened state. Uh, fortunately, their enemies are weak also, so they're not attacked for a good long time. Um, but it is in this weakened state. At this time, when the, when they've recaptured um, Edoras, when they're in this weakened state, that Saruman kind of comes into the picture and is given the keys to Orthanc by Gondor, the steward of Gondor. And the men of Rohan and the king of Rohan is very happy to see him because he's believed at that point to be an ally. So like, all right, we'll have a good, strong ally uh, manning Orthanc. It's good to have a strong neighbor. Thank goodness Saruman is here. Um, Not knowing that, you know, in like a thousand years time, he would become a, a true enemy of Rohan. But he has a thousand years of of helping in important ways. <laughs> well, he at, you know, falls. he probably does have a good intentions. At, maybe he has good intentions at that point because this is before. Before this he's is still corrupted. pretty early. So, but he's he's corrupted not too long after. Like you know, they because he's he's corrupt um, before Sauron is driven out of Dol Guldur. Um, the corruption is like pretty well taken root. Um, mm. but yeah, so I mean, we could see like at the end of the movie as sort of a postscript Saruman entering the scene or maybe like an after credits type of scene, um, Saruman being introduced cause he's not a part of the story, but it would be fun to see him and see that moment when he's given the keys and becomes a neighbor of Rohan. I think what's amazing to me, just every single time we hear stories like this, the, the, amount of backstory and just how thoroughly uh how thoroughly imagined this world is is just oh it never ceases to amaze me like what a mind he had and Tolkien was just such a genius and there's always more there's always more to learn you just scratch the surface 
but there's such a thorough history of all these characters. Everybody's got a backstory and a backstory right. and a history. And mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I just love, I love diving into all the different right. stories that are out there. And, you know, this story is a backstory to um, the Lord of the Rings, but there's more backstory to this backstory. You know, I mean, the Helm Hammerhand isn't the first King of Rohan. You know, he, he's, Rohan's he's the been ninth around. king, right? right? The he, ninth. That sounds so, right. I think yeah. he's the ninth. And so there's all kinds of Rohiric legends that come before. There's like uh, Scatha the dragon is killed by uh, a man of Rohan. Uh, this is the time when the dwarves are at war with a lot of the dragons. And so then a conflict erupts between Rohan and the dwarves because uh, the, I forget who, I forget who it is of the Rohirrim that kills a dragon, but he won't give up the dragon's horde to the dwarves. The dwarves feel like it's their, theirs because the dragon stole it from them. But the guy, the man of Rohan is like, nah, I killed the dragon. It's mine. So then now the, the Rohirrim and the dwarves are not friends. There's, and that's like, there's all this backstory upon backstory. And that's like another movie that they could make. I mean, New Line could go on and on. There's, there's so much, there's a wealth of material in the appendices. And um, I'm really excited to see that they are starting to crack open the door to exploring all these other tales. You know, they're giving themselves oh. permission to explore that. Definitely, definitely. We are so excited about it. And do we have we don't do we have a release date? That's my question. No, well, no release date. I mean, this is the first we've heard of it at all. Um, I, but so, uh, Fellowship of Fans um, put up a poll today, asking uh, people to weigh in on whether they think this or the Amazon show will be released first. And like fifty eight percent said. That this movie will be released before the Amazon show. And I actually think that's probably right. I mean, even though the that's Amazon show true. is on track, you know, and it's it, it sh- will probably be released this year, I would bet that this comes out before the end of the year as well. Well, I like that um, they just released that, dropped that bomb, and uh, there's been, they've been really quiet about it. So I wouldn't be surprised if they just released it surprise and we know that people are still consuming a lot of media right now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, people are still home even though things have opened up more so it's a good time it's a good time for things to be released and come out so we'll definitely be staying tuned and this story i mean this fits it right into that you said antihero and i think we mentioned on this show before that the antihero approach to storytelling is like really hot right now. <laughs> you know, it's it's a really popular it's really popular to have heroes that are flawed or villains that are sympathetic. And definitely um, this fits right into that mold because in Helm Hammerhand we have uh someone who because he's of the Rohirrim who we naturally think of as heroes because of the role they play in the Lord of the Rings, we're going to f- put him into the role of uh of hero, we're going to say he's a protagonist, but he's a really violent guy. And mm-hmm. arguably, I mean, I'm sure Freca is flawed as well. I mean, he's certainly portrayed as maybe being flawed, but he he doesn't necessarily do anything that justifies just getting straight up murdered. Um, and so they could go two ways with that. They could build up Freca as a villain so that his death is more justified, and we're like, you know, maybe Helm did it slightly more in self-defense or he was more provoked or you know or maybe there's some aspect with the daughter he's harassing the daughter something yeah like that. yeah he could freck could be like a worm tongue where it's like you know he's not right. 
totally evil, but he's kind of deplorable and we don't like him. And Or, you know, I don't – because they would have to superimpose those – they would have to make a conscious narrative storytelling choice to play up the evil aspects of Fracco to make him more of a villain. Because in the story, he is not that villainous. We don't get that well of a – uh, a well-developed villain out of him. He's, uh, he seems like someone who just has an ego. He has an ego yeah. and he's sort of not, um, he's doing his own thing over there when he's right. supposed to be subservient to the King. Yeah. He's and ambitious. He's, really he, he's, he wants to be his own man. He, yeah. And so really we have two men with egos and, um, Helm Hammerhand because he's the strong, literally the stronger one. He decides to kill the other guy with an ego. And that's not really a good quality and not one that Tolkien typically, um, would celebrate. So, you know, I think the idea of him, his death, um, and being frozen alive somehow being explored a little bit more and being depicted as really sort of metaphorical or, um, indicating that his life choices were flawed, as you said, you know, bad life choices leading to a bad end. Um, if that were really explored, I think that would make a lot of sense because I don't want to see Helm Hammerhand being, even though he's a hero, like a legendary hero within Rohirrit culture, I don't want to see him be a, a, a totally lovable hero that we just celebrate. I want to see those flaws. I want to see it shown that his violence is not 100% right. Yeah, definitely. And I should clarify that we, while we do see that thematically, we also see in characters a lot of redemption and a lot of opportunities for them to choose a different path. Or even if they've chosen the wrong path, they are, they are rescued or they have a second chance. Like all these things play out as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think thematically in this work, a major thing is theme is going to be grief. I think grief um, actually plays a huge role in Tolkien's work, so we don't talk about enough, but I think um, he's driven to do these things towards the end because of grief, because of the loss of his children. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. grief will play a major, major role. I think strategy, we forget this, but Tolkien, you know, was a soldier. He fought in wars. He he did have a lot of experience with military and strategy. I think that's going to be a big uh, a big theme. And mm-hmm. I also think pride, pride is going to mm-hmm. be obviously a very big theme. So I think that's where, uh, that's what I'm hoping to get. What's interesting about this is that it, the, the little tidbit we get here, the three pages we get in the appendices is, so it's the, the entire story is encapsulated in those three pages. And it is like 90% describing the conflict. And that's kind of atypical for Tolkien stories. Like, if you know, when you go through Lord of the Rings, he kind of skips over battles. Like, he'll describe a whole battle in a couple pages. He describes them in retrospect also. Like, a lot of right. times it'll be someone recalling the battle. He doesn't always walk you through the battle, which I appreciate. I'm not as into the battle. Oh, 100%. Scenes. I love that about Tolkien because uh, he's not he's not an action guy. The action happens and it's important. And But he focuses more on maybe the effects of the action or the... Uh, the character's actions leading Which I up think to is the unique action. in the mm-hmm. genre. That is unique. And yeah. I appreciate that. And it continues to be unique, you know, after, after, even after Tolkien, even though he paved the way and he's the godfather of fantasy. I mean, a lot of fantasy writers don't have, I don't know, the courage or the skill to pull off what, what he did in making those sort of choices. Um, but what's interesting is, is this story. And maybe it's just because it's, it's just a sketch and he was filling out the backstory for these peoples that, that he created more or less for the Lord of the Rings. But, this sketch is like 90% just what's happening in the battles. He doesn't explore 
what's going on with the daughter that much or the father-daughter relationship or you know ex- why exactly is Helms so mad at Freca about this? Why is this such an affront that he feels the need to, to kill him? We don't have a lot of that backstory and uh, that character exploration isn't there. So um, a lot of those things, which Tolkien usually spends the time doing and is what makes his stories so wonderful most of the time, a lot of that isn't there and will need to be filled in by the authors. So it's, it's going to be you know, basically a big piece of fan fiction, but it'll be fun. Oh, it'll be so fun. I'm certainly excited and stay tuned. We will be definitely watching this and talking about it. Well, I guess um, I guess that'll do it for, for this week. Um, we could probably go on talking about it for, for days and days, but uh, there'll be opportunities, I think, once we maybe see a little trailer drop or, or something like that sometime soon. Um, but I think that'll do it for, for now. Yeah. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. And... May the wind under your wings bear you where the moon sail, where the sun sail. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Can you do your greet? Your keep ending? it I in. Like- keep it in. No. <laughs> <laughs> do yours. All right. Mine will be much smoother. May the, he- uh, to- um, the hair on the um, to- uh... Stop. Da, 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 oh, da, da, stop. Done. <laughs> Jen, I want to tell you the the little known but very true, only sort of made up story of how Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings got made. I know the story. I don't think anybody else knows this story. <laughs> okay, I'm very peaked to know. Um, and uh, you know, spoiler alert: I'm the reason it got made. Michael Rowland mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. reason Peter Jackson's adaptation got made. I've kept this to myself for, for a lot of years because I didn't want to get mobbed in the street. You know, I I, enjoy, I just appreciated the love that the movies got. Um, I didn't want to take all the credit. So I, I've been keeping this to well, myself. You're a humble guy. Uh, I am probably the most <laughs> humble, probably the most <laughs> humble. Um, but I think now it's time, you know, people want to know the truth. This is a time for truth telling. I'm going to tell the truth. Um, and this is the forum to do it. This is the forum to do it. My my most humble podcast. Um, <laughs> so when I was uh, 12, I want to say 12, maybe 13, um, you know, a young man just just graduated uh, with my PhD. Um, so still early <laughs> in my life. Um, you know, not quite as accomplished as I am now. But uh, no, I was so when I was twelve or thirteen, I had read The Hobbit. I, I think I had read The Lord of the Rings all the way through, um, and I was fully a Tolkien fan. And I had certainly read all the C.S. Lewis books, um, all, all the Chronicles of Narnia, not all the C.S. Lewis books, but the Chronicles of Narnia. So I was like, all right, I'm a fantasy nerd. I love this stuff. And I thought to myself, boy, I would. Oh, and so the the there was a Chronicles of Narnia animated adaptation that I really enjoyed as well. Um, so all that stuff was out, but there's no live action I also action watched movie. it and, and enjoyed it's, it. It's so Just good. throwing right? it in there. It's so I still good. think it's good. Yeah. I, I think it actually holds up. Yeah. Actually, I ha- when was the last time you watched it? Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah. Long time. Okay. Yeah. Long time for me too. I, I, I would be interested to go back and I wonder where you could even find it. Maybe it's on Netflix or something somewhere. But um, yeah. I love that. I thought it was a beautifully done adaptation. But mm-hmm. um, there was no live action stuff for either of those. Um other than, you know, I guess there was the Russian live action adaptation, but that was not available on American shores yet. Uh, <laughs> and But so my 12-year-old brain, I thought to myself, boy, I 
would love to see these as movies. And so I sat down on our, our new, like our new computer. I think we got a computer for the first time when I was like 13 years old. This is like right around that time. Um, and I typed out a letter and, you know, I opened like notepad or whatever the old, uh, old program oh, was. And my I, gosh. I typed out a letter. I was at two, at like, you know, I am so-and-so I've read these books. I think they would be great. They would make great films. I know that I would watch them. I know that all my friends would watch them. And I like made the case. <laughs> I was like, they have a lot of action. So they'd it'd be, you know, people would amazing. like it who like action, but there's like a deeper heart to it. Um, I, you know, I don't, I wish I could find a copy of that. I did look, I did ask my mom if she ever held onto a copy. I couldn't find a copy to find out what I actually said, which I'm sure would be oh, hilarious. I'm devastated. I thought you were going to read it. I was no, like I, w- waiting with bated breath. If, if it turns up, I will, uh, we will make that another Grey Havens because it would probably oh. be hilarious. But I remember it being extremely well written. And, oh, um, <laughs> yes, of course. Well, you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> but So I, I typed out this letter and had my mom. I was like, can we please mail this to the movie studios? Can we like, I think I was like, can we mail this to Hollywood? Is probably what I said. <laughs> I love it. And, um, uh, you know, I gave it to my mom. And um, as far as I knew, she mailed it. And I, in my adult brain, like 20 years later, I was like, uh, it probably... She's my mom like, probably sure, took sweetie. it and yeah, like patted me <laughs> on the head and humored me and uh, that's cute, but then didn't send it because what would be the point? But I asked my mom and she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I mailed that. I mailed wow. that out. So as far as what I know, sweet mom. I, I wrote this letter. Yeah. I was like, I, it could have gone the way of like letters to Santa Claus, just like into the sock drawer. But I know, think- you know what? The timeline totally adds up, Michael, because well, yeah. they were made a few years. They went into production straight away. They were made just a few short years later. Exactly. So I, I was born in 85. Um, I probably wrote this letter in 97 or so. Um, and I think that, and you know, I, I think right around that time is when Peter Jackson was starting to make the rounds, trying to sell the movie studios on this idea of Lord of the Rings adaptation. And he did not get a, a bite right away. He was getting rejected. They're like, ah, that's maybe. right. People laughed in his face. Yeah. They're like, you can't, you can't pull it off. Are people going to be interested? Can you condense them into one movie? And then they receive this letter from young Michael Rowland. And they're like, I hadn't dun, thought of it that da, way. Da. Let's do it. <laughs> the real question is when are those royalties going to, I mean, I can't believe they didn't cut you a check. You should be in on this. I know. They didn't I bring know. you on board. <laughs> The injustice, the injustice. Well, I'm going to hope and pray that that resurfaces. Maybe one of your siblings has it. That would be amazing. It turns out my sister has my diary from when I was 12 years old. No idea how it ended up in her hands. That, yeah, fun fact, siblings can often end up with artifacts from your family history. So, you know, I'm just going to, yeah, maybe one of the Roland siblings has it. If you, Roland sibling, are listening and you have said letter... You let me know because we definitely want to read this on air. <laughs> or you know what? We should put out a call. If you have, um, you know, funny fan fiction that you wrote when you were small or anything like that, send oh, it yeah. our way. We love that kind of stuff. We would love to read it on the Grey Havens portion of our show. Um, and if you want to read it, that would be even better. You can call in, leave us a little voice message. Yeah. Um, or send record us it at one. home. Send, yeah, email record it, it to at us. home. Email it. Yeah, exactly. So, 
yeah, we love this kind of thing. And it was obviously a huge part of our childhood. So I'm assuming it was for many others as well. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Michael. That was totally delightful. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time.